Here in Exodus 2, we are still in kind of the introductory material to the book. We are not yet into the story proper of the Exodus. We saw last week how to live during genocide, looking at the Hebrew midwives and their shrewdness and their courage and standing up to Pharaoh. And then chapter 2 contains a couple of biographical details about Moses. Who is he? How was he born? How did he live? What drove this man? And we see his passion against injustice and his desire to identify with his people. So we'll see next week, a self-appointed Messiah, what that looked like. But tonight we're going to look at the river nativity and how these anonymous people, these daughters, save Moses, who in turn saves Israel. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughters of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off, to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he smote the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? And he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, And he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom, 
For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God knew. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this early career of Moses. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and faith of the daughters in this chapter, the daughter of Levi, the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of Jochebed, and the daughter of Ruel, who was content to be Moses' wife. Father, we thank you for the courage and faith of these women. Lord, we ask that you would continue to act to save and to deliver through the faithfulness of your daughters. Help us to see you in your majesty and glory in this text tonight. Help me to speak boldly. Give us all ears to hear your call and eyes to see your word. That we might not be distracted, not be forgetful, but we've got changed by hearing the word of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as you can see, God is absent until verse 23. First 22 verses of our chapter, following this decree of genocide in verse 22 of the previous chapter, don't mention the Lord, what he thinks, what he's doing. The scene shifts from Pharaoh's court and the decree to kill every son but save the daughters to two stories that are all about daughters. Now in this first story, verses 1 to 10, which we'll particularly look at tonight, the daughters are not named. As I said, the only named character is Moses at the end of verse 10. Otherwise, the emphasis is on their character as daughters. What is Moses trying to tell us? Well, he's talking to us about the character of God. That's the question we should ask of every scripture text. What does this tell me about God? And we go astray when we think that the human characters are the most important thing in the text. We can learn a lot from their courage, their faith, their attitude, their actions. But scripture is not the word of Moses, as important as he is, or the word of Jochebed, it's the word of God. So what do we see about the God who is not absent, but not named either? That's the question that we will pursue tonight. What we'll see is that he delights in upsetting expectations. After the setup of chapter 1, we might expect to read something more like Cory ten Boom, The Hiding Place, or 
some kind of concentration camp narrative, some kind of story of a family bereft of all its sons. But instead, under these conditions, as far as we can tell, certainly that's the narrative's literary presentation, as though after Pharaoh says, kill the sons. It's at that point that a man from the house of Levi, later identified in chapter 6 as Levi's grandson, a man named Amram, goes and finds his dad's sister, a woman named Jochebed, and marries her. But again, Moses doesn't share their names. It's not because he doesn't know his parents' names. It's because he wants to emphasize something other than their names. He wants to emphasize his mom's character as a daughter, the kind of person that Pharaoh was willing to let live because they weren't a threat. A woman, what can she do? A daughter. They will never overthrow my mighty Egyptian empire. Well, little did he know that this Levite man would go and marry a daughter of Levi. And then, as soon as we have the man in the story, he drops out. Uh, Some of the older commentators actually got into that question. Well, wouldn't Amram have helped hide his son? Where's the dad here? How come he's not mentioned in the text? Well, it's not because Moses is trying to dishonor his father or leave out his role. Rather, it's because Moses is trying to emphasize and highlight the fact that it was daughters in the providence of God who overthrew Pharaoh. And so Moses mentions his mom, he mentions his sister, doesn't mention his dad after the fact that his mom conceived. So she bears a son and sees that he is a beautiful child. The word is simply good, just like in Genesis 1. She looked at him and saw that he was good. And so she hid him three months. Commentators largely try to reconstruct, well, why three months? Was it not possible to hide him after three months? Those questions are not really of interest to the narrator. Simply, in faith, Jochebed, the daughter, steps out and hides a son from Pharaoh's murderous decree. And when she can't hide him anymore, she complies, literally, with the terms of the Pharaoh's decree. Every son who is born you shall cast into the river. He didn't say you have to kill him. He didn't say that they couldn't be in a boat. He just said you have to put him in the river. So she does. She makes him this little basket. And the the basket is described, the ark. This is the only place in the Bible that the word ark is used other than in the narrative of the flood in Genesis 6. The same ark idea that saved Noah and his family and all the animals of the world is here deployed to save one little boy. What's the connection? Well, some say there is no connection. Obviously, there's a connection. The word is only used here and there. The point is not that Moses went in a three-story floating zoo. The point is that God delivers through the waters of chaos and judgment. Whether that's the entire animal kingdom and the entire human race, or whether that's simply one little boy who's going to save 
the people of Israel, and that in turn will save the line of Jesus, and that in turn saves the whole world. Whether God is saving the world directly like he did with Noah or indirectly like he does here, that's where the ark comes into it. So Jochebed puts him in the ark and puts him not out in the current. Right? Those of you who have seen the Prince of Egypt and the little basket floating through the river and the crocodiles narrowly missing it here and there, she doesn't put it out in the main current. Pure fiction from our Hollywood friends. Rather, she finds a little backwater near the shore with some thick reeds where the basket will be in the river, just like Pharaoh said, but not in danger. Right? It's a place where the princess comes to bathe. Princesses are not allowed to bathe where there's crocodiles that will eat them. Jochebed understands this, and she puts the basket there. It's an act of faith, yes, and even an act of desperation, absolutely. But the narrative makes it clear, I believe, that it's not an act of pure lunacy. Well, we'll just throw him in the river. and Whatever happens, happens. No, it's, we know this Egyptian princess. We know that she's not like the rest. We know where she goes, and we can keep the letter of the law and make this desperate gambit to put out the baby where he can be seen and taken up by the daughter of Pharaoh, who's not like Pharaoh. And that, of course, is exactly what happens. Also, they don't abandon Moses. Verse 4, Miriam, his sister, stood afar off to know what would be done. So he didn't leave the child alone at all. His big sister is there babysitting, making sure he's okay. If he stays there too long, presumably, baby sister is not going to walk away and let him die. She will pick him up and take him home. Daughters have a special place in the plan of God. Again and again. In fact, this chapter 2 of Exodus contains the word daughter seven times. Moses' way of highlighting how important daughters were. Very generous-hearted of him in one sense, after his experience, no doubt, with having six sisters-in-law. Anyway, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down, presumably just as Jochebed knew she would, and her maidens walked along the river's side. When she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. Pharaoh's daughter, Moses once again brings us up to this point of nervousness. Uh Uh-oh, this is not going to be good. She opens it, and immediately she says, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Busted. There's no hope of passing this off as an Egyptian foundling. There's no pretense that he's anything other than Israelite. And of course, commentators throughout the ages have tied themselves in knots, attempting to explain how she knew that he was Hebrew. Was it the circumcision? Was it his accent? Was it how he looked? What was it? It, That question is really completely pointless. The question is not how she knows that he's Hebrew. The point is that she knows. 
And therefore, right, she's under orders with all of the people of Egypt to throw them right back in the river and walk away. But she doesn't do that. Instead, at this moment, Miriam gutsily says, can I get a nurse for you? Right? How to win friends and influence people. Ask a question that presumes that Pharaoh's daughter has already made the decision to keep him and is now figuring out how she's going to feed him. And Pharaoh's daughter, amazingly, remarkably, says, yes. How is this even possible? Even if we assume that word had gotten around, that Amram and Jochebed had a pretty good idea of the character of this woman, the chances still have to seem totally astronomical that she will consent to adopt their little boy and pull him out from under the threat of death. But this woman, this daughter, is totally unlike her dad. She's honest. She pays. I will give you your wages. Pharaoh enslaves Israel and doesn't pay them. And his daughter hires Israel and does pay them. Right? As a as an obituary piece for his adoptive mother, Moses has outdone himself. There's no life dates here. There's no right, various people have made an effort to fill in the name of this. Some have even suggested that it was the famous queen Hapshetsut. Of course, we really have no idea what her name was, and Moses intended it to be that way. But what has he told us about? Her character. She's faithful. She's loyal. She too refuses to kill the sons. It's not said that she feared God, but in one sense it doesn't have to be said because her actions show that her heart was not like her dad's. She was much more of the school of the midwives than of the school of the Egyptian court. Pharaoh's daughter is not a dummy. Right? She has to know who the nurse is. She has to know who the little girl is. I would think any of us in here would trust our little detective pea brains to be able to figure out that much. And Pharaoh's daughter is not any dumber than the rest of us are. She knew, and she didn't care. She wasn't bamboozled by this. Rather, she was an active, a willing participant. And so, he became her son, and she called his name Son. The Hebrew word Moses means drawn out, but the Egyptian word Moses means son. And thus you've got, of course, the famous king Ramses, or Ra Moses, what does that name mean? Son of Ra. And Tut Moses, son of Tut. And all any Pharaoh name you can think of will probably have that Mose on the end of it. 
That's the Hebrew or the Egyptian word for son. That's how much Pharaoh's daughter identifies with this little boy. She calls his name son, and then she gives us the reason for that. He's mine. I pulled him out of the water. We're a pretty bold reason to give around her dad's court. Yeah, he was in the water. I pulled him out. He's my son. Don't mess with me, Dad. It's totally unclear to us whether she had the standing to tell her father that this was hers and he wasn't going to have anything to say about it. We don't know whether her position protected her. We can guess that anybody who's going to mobilize his entire people to commit genocide is hardly going to have scruples about you know, taking his daughter's son away. But nonetheless, this woman, in the fear of God, calls him son and claims him by right of finding. I pulled him out of the water. Even though her maid did it, she could have thrown the maid under the bus. She could have distanced herself. Yep, that dumb maid. She doesn't. She owns it. He's mine. I drew him out of the water. God turns the way of the wicked upside down and he blesses the righteous. That's what we see about our God. Each movement of this story runs counter to our expectations. We read verse 22 of chapter 1 and say, nobody's having children now. The risk of getting a son is too great. Nobody's getting married. And then, what happens? Somebody gets married. They have a son. Oh, they're not going to keep that son. They're going to have to throw him to the crocs. No, they keep the son. And then, this gambit to get him adopted. And it works. And Pharaoh's daughter isn't like her father. And on and on, God upsets our expectations. God does what we would consider to be impossible. And he does it all the time for the sake of his people. Through three daughters, God brings a son to maturity in this chapter. The emphasis is on the daughters, just as in the New Testament's emphasis on Mary over against Joseph. Joseph is there in the infancy and then he drops out. Mary is still there at the beginning of the book of Acts. Why? Well, the emphasis is on the daughters who have the sons. It is through women that God will save the world. Women that Pharaoh thinks can't save anybody. Pharaoh thinks you're no threat. The world says, women, what are they good for? We can take them any time. That was Pharaoh's attitude. He didn't know that God believed in his daughters, that God was prepared to give his daughters this reward of a son who would destroy Egypt and lead his people out. Our God is a savior. He cares for his people. We see that about him in this text. He uses the blind spots of the wicked to overthrow them. Pharaoh let the daughters live, including his own. He didn't know the consequences that that would have for his successor's regime. 
when Moses led the people out. God countered expectations at creation. He did it again at the flood. He did it when Mary brought Jesus out in a cow's stall. He does it today with the growth and prosperity of the church in poor countries, in rich countries, in middle-income countries, in places near the homeland of Jesus in the Middle East, in places at the ends of the earth, away from that homeland of Jesus. God continues to counter expectations and save his people. He delights to save not by bow, by spear, by warriors, by women, rather by poverty, by obscurity. Three nameless daughters saved Moses, and thus Israel, and thus Christ, and thus you and me. Can you trust the God they served? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Pharaoh let the daughters live, that that was your doing, that you made him put that in the decree, and that these living daughters saved a son who would lead your people out of Egypt. Father, forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for thinking in the world's terms, for adopting the world's categories, which, of course, in Bronze Age Egypt, said that women were worthless and could not pose any threat to a great empire like Pharaoh's. Lord, help us rather to fear you, to trust your promises, to see you as the one who uses the wicked's own blind spots to overthrow them while you bless the righteous and save them. We thank you for the birth of Moses. We thank you that a greater than Moses is here. And we pray in that one's name. Amen.